Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Big Game Week here on the pod. The three Lions are on the march, and so too are the British and Irish Lions after their 56 14 victory over the Hauteng franchise, also unhelpfully known as the Lions. The summer of rugby has started at home too, with England's Independence Day victory over the United States, Ireland being pushed all the way by Japan, and Wales cruising to a victory over Canada that was overshadowed by another serious injury to Lee Halfpenny. I'm Alex Lowe, and joining me to run the rule over all of that and to discuss his in-depth series on the 1997 Lions tour called Inside the Tour is Alistair Eakin, commentator and broadcaster extraordinaire, and two rock regulars in Owen Slot and Stuart Barnes, who are pretty decent with a pen and a microphone as well. Morning. That was a nice introduction, wasn't it? Saying saying those nice things about us. Yeah, I nearly put a line in about Lawrence being on holiday, but wasn't quite sure how that would go down. <laughs> well, whenever I go away, even for a cup of tea, people that people have a go at me. So I think think it's fair enough. Did you have a good weekend? I had a good weekend, Alex. Yes, uh, I've enjoyed the rugby. I mean, I've kind of enjoyed the rugby. It's left a slightly funny taste in the mouth. I'm not quite sure what to make of it all, if I'm brutally honest, both with Lions and and England in particular. Uh, but more importantly, I played cricket and scored some runs. So I'll take that for the weekend. Well, how many? <laughs> it, was, it was only a gentle half century, but it was it was nice oh, to get a few. Yeah, uh, I see. In a, in a winning cause, it's it's extremely high level uh, cricket in the Oxfordshire leagues. League Eight C, oh. I think you'll find we're, we're tearing it up. You wouldn't believe the, the damage we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> the last time you played cricket, Ali, presumably was uh, on the 2009 Lions tour. You got so badly injured, I presume you haven't been able to play again since. I actually nearly killed myself that day. Uh, it wasn't the last time I played cricket. There's been a few games of cricket in between, but um, yes, that that wasn't my finest hour. Uh, but I think it showed my commitment to the cause because I was I was chasing a ball for those who weren't present, uh, to the boundary. And we're playing on this fu- this funny pitch, actually, um, in somewhere in the middle of Johannesburg. And it had kind of amphitheatre-style seating. So the, the brick walling kind of went up from the boundary edge. There wasn't any space between the boundary rope and the seating, which constituted stone, basically, stone wall. And I, I was tearing off this ball, which I, I, I should have given up long ago, and I launched myself after it. And my knees got jammed in the dry grass as I landed and I catapulted my entire body into the wall 
and collapsed like a sack of spuds. And I think a lot of people that day thought I'd done myself in. I was standing elsewhere on the field and I I had given up on it. I thought it was just going off for four and t- turned away and then suddenly heard this collision and groaning and turned back and, oh my God, it was horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did scare a few people that day, including myself. Actually, I had a bit of a panic attack. I was taken off the hospital for scans and stuff. Um, there is a story about the scan, but it's sort of post watershed. Well, this is not post watershed. I was given a scan. I'll tell you the story. I was given a scan very quickly. They were brilliant in that hospital. I was told very quickly I was going to be all right. But they they scanned me up and down, and the guy came in and said, "Listen, there's there's a couple of things I've just got to do to to make sure we're absolutely fine." And there is a reflex system that you need to check if you've got any question of a spinal injury. And it involves fingers going in places that they perhaps oughtn't at different points. And he had just checked my teeth. So I had to ask the doctor whether he wouldn't mind changing his gloves. <laughs> yeah, happily, the outcome was a good one. And uh, and we could all get on with covering the tour. But it was it was a bit messy. I remember hitting Will Green with a four and then... That's, that's enough then, isn't it? And, and, you, and you getting injured. Those were my two <laughs> memories of the day. Uh, it's a shame we won't be able to be all back there playing cricket on this tour. I know it's very it's very odd, isn't it? And you look at that game on Saturday with all those empty seats, and I suppose it's just extra difficult to stomach on account of the fact that right now we're watching all sport with okay, not full capacity crowds, but it feels like it, and the noise is substantive to the point where you 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 don't you don't feel like. It's a non-event. Everything that's happening around us now feels like an event. The Lions just did not feel like an event to me. And that's that's very, very sad when you know what it can be like. Do we just accept that this is the only, this is what's happened? Or at some point, our question is going to be asked about whether they've they made the wrong decision, didn't make enough of an effort to, to have to bring it here. I mean, I guess if it was here, it would still have been overshadowed by by England in the Euros and Wimbledon and, and, and some of the big stories that have happened over the weekend. But... I don't know. What do we think? I don't think it's the location. I think it's the time. Wherever you went in the world, there were question marks. You know, my family live in Australia and, you know, there was that plan, wasn't there, to go to Australia. That would be up in ashes now. The reality of it is that it should have been put back a year. Um, I hate to agree with my dear colleague, Stephen Jones, but Jones has been banging on about this for for quite a while and I think he's right. And, And in the end, you look at it and... It looks to me pretty much like a financial decision. And and we all love the Lions, but they wanted to get this tour done. And I think, contrary to what World Rugby says, it would have been comfortable to have tours next year and the Lions. And I think that's the problem. We're a year early. I've been thinking all year that this tour might not happen or it might end up uh, in Tatis halfway through. And whilst I think it will get to its end it, you know it, it's it's pretty worrying when Cyril Ramaphosa uh, declares uh, it's stage four for COVID uh, and in South Africa let's just say well maybe a bit like here when the politicians say something what they say and what they mean are not always the same so it's very worrying and I just think let's let's get on with it and really enjoy the tour now but I do believe it should have been one year later I tell you what's worrying for me is the idea of Jonesy getting on a plane this evening for Johannesburg, and he's going to spend the next week with three meals a day, room service, not allowed out. I mean, the guy's half mad already, but what sort of a state is it going to be like at the end of that? And ju- just in case anyone's wondering, 
I'm supposed to be going at some point very soon too, but uh, I just can't, I can't contemplate living like that. And so I've postponed. I'll probably be, I'll be there in a week's time, I suspect. If you go, um, you can go to matches. As a, as a journalist, you can get into the games, but everything else, every other dealing with the, the media, with the, the Springboks and the Lions, from what I gather, is, is remote. Is that right? It's done by Zoom. So you benefit from being at the games live by going, but all the restrictions are so tight that yeah. there's a 9pm curfew, there's no alcohol for sale, and everything's done, done remotely. Can we just make clear that the no alcohol thing is is the one one area of guidelines that I, I expect every journalist to be able to find their way around. Otherwise, you shouldn't be there. Yeah, big duty-free uh, purchases and a, a separate suitcase with some scrumpy in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, scrumpy, yes. Fantastic idea. What did you make of the game, Slotty, on, uh, on Saturday? Oh, it, it, was, it, it was a bit ho-hum. It, I, th- I think the... Um, uh, the more I think about it, at, at, at the time you see lots of lots of fun stuff like tries and uh, and fireworks and stuff. But but the more I am, um, the the, the more it sort of recedes in the past. I just feel that it wasn't a proper hit out. That the um, that the opposition were okay but not great. Um, their defence was really poor, uh, and it's, it's it's one of those ones where a, a bit a bit like when, when you see. England playing um, one of those one of the November internationals against a against a lesser team and, and a few people stand out but you don't really know if it what it really means in the greater scheme of things you know if you've played well against the Sigma Lions on Saturday if you scored four tries like like Josh Adams that shows you're sharp to, to, to beat the Sigma Lions but has it got anything to do with the test series no that's why today in the press I wrote about Elliot Daly um, because Daly looked uh, as sharp as we've seen him at 13 for a long time, but doing it against Sigma Lions is a complete irrelevance. Daly's question mark is, will he handle the power runners coming at him uh, in that 13 channel? It's not been a strength of his. Uh, he wasn't tested. So I'm completely with Owen there. It's it's a little bit like the game that came, uh, what the, the game in Cardiff uh, and the game between England versus USA. You couldn't knock anyone on the result on the back of what happened. You couldn't go over the top. I mean, I, of all the games at the weekend, probably the one that stood out as the most interesting Test match was well, not probably it was definitely Ireland versus Japan, where I thought everyone wrote Japan off uh, and they gave a reasonable account of themselves again. Yeah, can I just say I, I know we don't like to be too too kind to each other on this podcast, but I actually really enjoyed Barnes's piece on Elliot Daly this morning. Anyone who hasn't read it, Barnsley was arguing. So, so it was it's the Elliot Daly debate. You know, is he a, is he a thirteen or or is he a back three player, a, f- a fullback as Eddie Jones has had him? And, and many of us, like myself, have said that the fullback thing hasn't worked. But Barnsley's argued argued valiantly that that it has. And then Elliot plays uh, rather beautifully at thirteen on um on Saturday. But you're you're still sticking with your guns, Barnsley. I like that because Daly has to has to do it under pressure. God knows I love disagreeing with Eddie Jones. I've made part of a career doing it. Like, I'm not the only one. Um, but I'm not, I am prepared to say when I think he's right. And, and I think Jones saw something in the way Daly plays, and he's right. And, and Elliot has been weak under the high balls for a little while. And people then say, yeah, and he's missed tackles. But I tell you what, try saving tackles. They're headline stuff because everyone remembers them but you have to make a hell of a lot more 
in that midfield position. And if you start missing them, your fullback is going to have to make a lot more and you don't keep making them one-on-one. That, that's the crutch of it, isn't it, Barnsley? The, the style thing. You know, what exactly are we going to see from a yeah. Warren Gatlin midfield? Because you look at the other centres in that squad and, and by and large, and this is, you know, very broad brush, you know, they're extremely physical. They're battering rams. Yes, they've got some soft skills, but, you know... Ha- Bundyaki and Chris Harrison and uh, Henshaw, you know, they, they don't have the outside break that Daly has. They don't have the outside break that Slade and Ringrose both have. And I, I just can't get my head around going on tour to South Africa without those two, at least as part of the equation, as an option. Daly's the only one of them who's got that out-and-out gas that can trouble defences on the outside in the wider channels. This is going to come down to a question of, style isn't it from from Gatland what does he want from his midfield and and of course that pairs up with who he picks at 10 he wants he wants the midfield not to take a step backwards he doesn't want Dialende and Lucania Am dominating the game line that they did in the World Cup final he wants to be able to keep Conor Murray and whoever's playing fly half just about on the front foot I think if you look at the Lions offensive game behind the scrum most of it is going to come off the boot they got in Bigger and Russell, two exceptional um, attacking kickers. And we know that if Farrell finds some form or blind faith sees him into the equation, he's got his array of rugby league chips and chases, which can be quite brilliant when he's on form. So I think the Lions, I, I never forget what the All Blacks said about playing them. Why do you want, Richie Moanga it was, he said, why do you want to play into the teeth of this physical team when you can kick over the top and turn them? And if you, once you start kicking and turning them, that's your only way of slowing their line speed down because they have to worry about that. So I think it's a question of who you play 10 to get the creativity and your 12 and 13 have got to be absolute rocks in defence and probably your 10 as well. Do you think he... So what Warren is... is, is employing the policy he's done on the previous two tours of giving everyone a start in the first three games um, to give them an opportunity to put their hand up for test selection. I just wonder whether that this time it's more about squad harmony with a shorter run up to the first test with fewer midweek games. I mean, four years ago, two players from the, the last midweek game played themselves into the test team. Do you think that he actually, although he's talking about giving everyone a start, to give them a chance. He really, he's flown out there knowing his test team pretty much already. He, he's got to have gone to South Africa with a pretty clear start and then, you know, can make, can chop and change according to what he's seen. And I think that's, that's what he will do. He, he said after um, Saturday's game, he, he, he insisted that he doesn't, he doesn't have an idea in his, uh, in his head of his test team yet. And he's not looking at that yet, but I think he kind of has to say that because he has to keep the players, um, uh, you know, he has to give all the players a sniff of, of, of the glory at the end of it. Otherwise, he's lost them from the start. One of the things that, that is a challenge for Gatlin is is from the two games we've seen, no, no one's really had a bad game yet. And in, in one sense, you, you sort of, if you're, if you're Gatlin, you want some people to count themselves out of the equation. Now, that's in, that's in part due to the fact they played Japan and, and now the Sigma Lions, so they've had comparatively uh, soft opposition. So no one's played themselves 
themselves out. The, the Sunday Times yesterday made me laugh. They, they had that thing when, when you go, who's gone up and who's gone down in terms of test contention. But in terms of who's gone down, they picked Wynne Jones, a, uh, who's a, a really a really good scrummager, and said, well, he didn't do much ball carrying. Well, that's kind of not what he's there for. And, and then they picked Lewis Rees-Zamet, who had... Uh, who, who got like one touch and scored a try, but because he was on the wrong wing from Josh Adams, who got four, he's apparently gone down in, in contention. So it's just it's just really hard. The only person player who I think hasn't really played particularly well is Owen Farrell, but uh, as I think we all know that Gatlin will give him at least one more one more chance. Is this part of the issue that the Lions face going forward in terms of the strength of the opposition for the the tour matches? Because I've no I've noticed this time around that they've started to be referred to as warm-up games or even practice matches got got rolled out at the weekend. And Stuart, when you went on that 93 tour, and Al, when you were researching and, and doing your pod for 97, th- those weren't warm-up games or practice matches. Whether they were they were full-bore tour matches against strong opposition who were absolutely mm-hmm. like hungry to, to, to take the Lions down. The essence of the Lions tour has changed dramatically it's now all about the Test Series because, dare I say, I say this as a former Sky employee, a worker for Sky, Elliot BT, we know that the big bucks are Test matches and everything is geared towards the Test game. And, you know, in 93, I can recall you know, when you play uh, uh, North Auckland and, and, and then the Maori and um, Otago, these were huge games. The Maori game... They called it the fourth test. There's nothing like a fourth test here at all because everything is geared to giving the Lions. And, and by, by the way, you know, the Lions are involved in this. They don't want those games. They want to be ready for a test series and nothing else. And it does require a bit of um, marketing ingenuity uh, to convince everyone that, you know, every game is big. It's not. It's about three test matches. It has changed. Um, in 2017, I recall... Uh, Auckland Blues uh, were playing the Lions and they'd had a pretty rubbish old season as they tended to do at that stage. And I was talking to their manager, Tana Umunga, a day or two before the game. And I said, you know, would this would this really uh, save your season if you beat the Lions? And he said, no, we went to Fiji and I think it was Queensland Reds. We beat them uh, and in Fiji there, a uh, bit of marketing as well. That That was a big game for us. That was the one that mattered. This is nothing but a bonus. And I dutifully didn't write that up um, because I just wanted to sustain this myth. But the the, the reality of the Lions now is uh, three test matches and we can pretend as much as we like, but that's why you get this scorched earth policy. But but Barnsley, how is that? In 2017, the the, the games before the test were serious games. The, The... the Lions got beaten by the, by the Blues and the Highlanders. Are you saying that, that it's better preparation for the Test Series to have a series of soft games against these, these South African teams that are denuded of their best players? I, I, I would have thought it would be better to have the kind of prep that they had in New Zealand where they got beaten up, they lost games, they were really tested, they really had to rise to the challenge. And by the time they got to the Test matches, they knew exactly how... how who they were, how, how big the, uh, the the challenge was and how to take it on. Well, well two things there. One, I think that 2017 tour uh, was a reminder that New Zealand has a strength in depth in its rugby like no other. 
that Blues game, they did not field their full 15. They rested a load of players and they beat the Lions. And, and nowhere else. South Africa can't do that. So I think there's that aspect to it. But there wasn't... There, there was, the, the essence of that tour was about three tests and you could feel it burning through. And, and when you would talk to Warren Gatland after the games, there was no, oh my God, we've lost to the Blues. Oh God, the Highlanders have beaten us. It, it, it was okay. We lost that game, but it's all about moving on. Now, I think New Zealand warm-up games um, are more helpful for Lions than ones against weakened South African opposition. I agree with you fully there, Owen, but I think there's a degree to which uh, the South Africans, they did it last time. Uh, the last time this tour was in South Africa, 12 years ago, um, we had some awful opposition. If you remember, there were cricket matches everywhere. Uh, and Warren Gatlin referenced that, didn't he, post-match? Um, on Saturday, he's very aware of what happened in 2009. You mentioned those cricket schools, Barnsley. I mean, they, they, the first couple were were not competitive remotely. And they, I mean, they beat the Sharks by, was it 39 points to three? I'm looking at it here. You know, there were yeah. there were a lot of big scores and they didn't learn an awful lot. And then they got suddenly to the test arena where the whole thing is different. And the box are... Ready and waiting, and it's almost as if they're 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 luring you in. They're they're giving yeah. you a sort of full sense of security, and then wallop. It's a completely different sport. Well, uh, anyone who who picked up the the uh, the Times is Lions pull out on Saturday would have seen an excerpt from your pod latest episode with with Ian McGeekin and Jim Telfer in conversation, sort of discussing exactly this: how you how you pick a Lions team. What did you learn from? From piecing together your your series um, inside the lion inside the tour about the the challenge that these guys are, are facing out in South Africa at the moment, can we just massage well, Ali's ego for a minute? It's a, it's a bloody good series, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, if you've got any time beyond listening to this podcast, it's well worth listening to that. Now, off you go, Ali. Thanks very much, Slotty. You're, you're very kind to me. Um, it, it, it was a lot of fun to make, apart from anything else, because everybody has such amazing memories of it. It's so fondly remembered. The characters were i mean so special on on so many different levels um ridiculous personalities that came through that tour and of course we all feel like we we lived it and breathed it um there were obviously many people who were there at the time uh barnsley slotty i'm sure you were there in some part as well but but actually for for most people it was the video obviously living with lions that brought it to life for people and i think probably in in putting together this podcast i was very keen not to lean too heavily on the film because we, we all know what happened in the film. We know all those stories. I really wanted to unearth a few more um, from, from behind the scenes and just get to know the characters a little bit more. So many of them went on to achieve so much in the game and, and beyond. You think, think of those, uh, those players there, you know, Keith Wood, Lawrence Delalio, Johnson, Scott Gibbs, uh, Doddy, obviously Will Greenwood, you know, so, so many huge personalities. Um, Talking about the Geech and Jim episode, I mean, that was a treat because they actually hadn't at the time spoken a great deal to each other and certainly not uh, about this topic in that environment. So it was almost a case of asking them one question and then picking up, you know, an hour and 10 minutes later once they'd finished having their chat, which was the really lovely thing. And actually that illustrated one thing to me, which was the chemistry between them was incredible really and I think you know we see coaching teams being put together all the time don't we at a club level international level 
you can have a really fantastic head coach, but if he doesn't have the coaching staff underneath him that he really trusts and respects and can delegate to, then his brilliance as a single guy at the top it isn't going to count for an awful lot. So their chemistry, I think, was absolutely pivotal. Geach, obviously, the, the, the master planner, and Telfer, the man who put it all into practice on the training ground and had a, and a wonderful means of communicating. Well, they both did, of course. We talk about their, their speeches. But the, the tactics and the style, it was forensic in a way that I think probably previous Lions tours, Barnes, you might tell me otherwise, I think previous Lions tours had not been so forensically planned they were picked broadly on national lines. Who was playing well for England, Wales, Ireland, Scotland? And can we then fit them into our units? This was a case of how do we beat South Africa first? What players, what type of players do we need to do that? So they got the framework of the jigsaw puzzle and they fitted the players into their jigsaw puzzle as opposed to the other way around. And that I thought was really interesting. It was the first Lions tour that wasn't picked by committee. Um, so, you know, you did have some pretty extraordinary picks uh, at the time. You know, the, the, the likes of Will Greenwood obviously hadn't played for England at that point, an uncapped lion. Um, obviously, Rob Howley was the leading contender at nine. But Dawson, you know, he was something of an outsider at that point. But of course, huge connections with Northampton and McGeekin. And there were, there were a lot of Northampton players on that trip. So the blend of it all just worked really well. But I think because of that crossover between the amateur and professional era, it was obviously at a very interesting period for rugby. You had the rugby league influence, the likes of, of Scott Gibbs uh, and John Bentley, uh, Scott Quinnell and Alan Tate. And so these guys brought a different sort of element to training, a different sort of professionalism. And it, it just seems to be the tipping point, really. And obviously, we're still learning, aren't we? Rugby Union is still learning how to be professional. But there was an awful lot to learn. And I hope, actually, in the podcast, one of the things I hope more than anything, really, is that you get to know the characters even better than you feel you know them already. Little things that um, certainly my ears picked up when, I, when I'm learning about things like geeks taking the test side off on a Friday afternoon for cream tea. You know, that that's not what I expected to hear from him about the perfect preparation 24 hours out from a test match. Learning about Fran Cotton calling up Martin Johnson's mum because he can't think of anybody else who knows Martin Johnson better than, better than her just to get a reference point as to whether he would make a good captain. Listening to Jim Telford talk about Geach and, and Cotton at that very first press conference in South Africa in 97 where they met Steve Chwete, who was the sports minister, who'd spent time in Robben Island with Nelson Mandela in 1974, listening on their radios to the Lions series in which Geach and Cotton were both playing. And wow. the impact that he had on him. And of course, at that point, they were, they were cheering for the Lions as South Africans locked up in a cell um, under the apartheid regime. So it, it's all those sort of little bits that I hope we've brought out and, and, and have brought to a well, an old audience and a new one with any luck, but we're, we're proof will be in the pudding, I guess. But it's uh, it's been amazing to make. Yeah, just hearing those stories just underlines how just a million miles away that one tour is from this tour. You know, the the idea of being locked up in a pub or going for cream teas or any, <laughs> any of the rest of it, they can't even get out of the blink, blinking hotel. 
No, I think I mean that is that is going to be a problem for them, isn't it? I mean, I, I think there are some similarities, by the way. I mean, quite obviously, the opposition is one, <laughs> and you know, the Lions are going to have to solve the problem of the scrum, just like the Lions of '97 had to solve the problem of the scrum, and that's something that we got into quite in depth in Inside the Tour, particularly with Keith Wood uh, over the scrummaging sessions that Jim Telfer held, which of course were, were legendary, but particularly the tactics about how you parity at least with such a powerful pack. Um, Warren Gatlin is going to have this same conundrum. England had it in the World Cup final. Um, and I, I think we all know that in 97, they used those squat, smaller scrummages in Tom Smith and Paul Wallace. But what that did was, without uh, teaching everybody here to suck eggs, they were basically using their power, the box power against them. It wasn't a question of overpowering them. It wasn't a question of uh, of even trying to take them on at their own strength. It was a question of negating their power to some degree. They scrummaged so low that they were asking the box to try to hold their own massive weight under enormous strain at a very, very low level. And what that allowed the Lions to do was at least after they'd worked it out. And of course, it then provided them with a platform to do the things that they did behind the scrum. And so I, I just wonder when you hear Keith Wood saying, oh, you hear you hear all the experts saying, well, you've got to match the box up front before anything else happens. You've got to find you've got to fight fire with fire and match their power with your own. Yeah. It, he said ever since 97, I have not subscribed to that view. You've got to think smart. You've got to think outside the box uh, unless you have that power available to you. If you have, well, fine, fill your boots, try and try and take them on. But very, very few people can manage that. Um, I'm not sure the Lions have that capacity. The Lions are 21. But I, I think that's one of the one, one of the interesting talking points if we're relating 97 to, to 21. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code Program. So, so the Lions team play on Wednesday is, is kind of expected, but but when you look at it, it does it, it makes you ask questions. So, Liam Williams at fullback, Watson, Daly, Aki, Van der Merwe, uh, Bigger and Gareth Davis halfback, Mako, Vanipola, Luke Cowan, Dickey, Zander Ferguson, Ian Henderson, and, and Adam Beard in the second row, and then Josh Navidi six, Tom Curry, Sam Simmons. So you you, you sort of expect that that the subs are Owen Sutherland, Furlong, Byrne. Conan, Murray, Hogg and Harris. So I don't know what you guys think, but the first thing I'm thinking is he hasn't named a second 10 on the bench. So presumably if there was a problem with Bigger, then Elliot Daly would fill in there, but that's not really the point. I, but but I'm now thinking if Farrell and Russell aren't playing on Wednesday uh, and Bigger is, then when's Farrell ever going to play outside bigger or that's just the problem with, with the way these games come, come so fast is, is you're running out of time already to try new combinations. Well, even more than that, I think um, the one person who'll be really disappointed with that is Owen Farrell, because we've been told that he is a 10 and 12. Now he doesn't get a start there. So we're, we're into, Game four, he then has to have another game. I can't, I cannot believe that no matter no matter how much faith uh, Gatlin may have in him, based on twenty seventeen, I can't believe that he's blind to Farrell's um, form for the last year plus. And I can't believe if that's the case, he if he thinks Farrell is a potential ten, he has to give him more game time because what Farrell needs now, you know. He's been he's been in the wrong league, so to speak, in England. So it's been inside centre for England, uh, Saracens. He's been at a level where it really doesn't matter. He's just run him out of time. I mean, to me now, it's you're starting to look already. I think like bigger with Russell on the bench and maybe Farrell at twelve to come on goal kicking. I, I, out of all those twenty three, Owen. Farrell not playing at all uh, is 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 quite something, I think. So for the Saturday game, he could play Farrell at ten. He could play Farrell Henshaw at ten twelve, which is which is another permutation which you could see Gatland playing with. But if if Bigger has another decent game on Wednesday, then I can't really see how he doesn't get the starting shirt. Bigger and Henshaw, that looks to me like a a first test partnership in the midfield. I'm just looking at the fixtures here. So, obviously, the first, the next Saturday game is is the Bulls, and then South Africa A. When we think there may be some of the Springboks made available, some yeah. of them is a mid, is on the 14th. Stormers is a week before the first test. So, at what point do you think he will have to sort of settle into that that system where the Saturday team is the test team, which usually there's a slightly longer run up to it. That Stormers game will be. What he'll he'll want that is his dress rehearsal for his test team, and he he clearly will make some changes thereafter. But he would like to get that as right as possible. More so than that, the South Africa A game ten days earlier. 
so that's that's a really good point. He he could actually make that that South Africa A game as a as his test team run out, and then give the Saturday against the Stormers as a sort of last chance. Because then, if you have a good game against the Stormers, you've got a you've got a whole week. Yeah, that's um. God, once again, Alex being smart though, isn't he? Well done. He's worked the whole thing out. Alex, is is that the drill then? The, the, they're expecting that South Africa A match to be significantly stronger than the Stormers are the following Saturday. The box have picked a 47-man squad, which covers the A game as well. So I don't think it'll be, it won't be the full test team, but there will be players from the box squad involved in that game, if not all of them, but, but maybe not the test team. So I, th- I think that... Which, so it's interesting that it's a midweek fixture and not, not a weekend game but that's certainly the way they've been talking at um, Razi Rasmus was when he picked I think 47 48 players yeah correct yeah, yeah. and with the idea that, that he would oversee that squad for the A game and then release some and have a trimmed down squad for the test series yeah that 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 South Africa A game will be their toughest match I think so he'd want he'd want the shadow lions test team to be playing in that he'd, he'd want an idea you'd think of his first 15 by that I game don't... Alex, I don't think it'll be a shadow 15. I don't think we'll see such a thing. I think what we'll see are combinations through the tour and then it all adds up to the whole. Yeah. That's sort of, for example, Bigger and Henshaw. And then maybe for the A game, whoever, if, if it's Harris at 13, Harris comes in and joins them and just building blocks through it. Front row, second row, one day we'll have the pack or maybe just the back row. I think, was it you, Alan? We made the point earlier about perhaps the Lions' uh, biggest tests are going to be in the build-up to the series against themselves. And over the years, we've heard more and more coaches have talked about the imperative of high-quality hit-outs in camp, behind closed doors, against themselves. Uh, And I think the Lions, I think it's, it's feasible that we won't see the Lions test team until the first test unless you can find your way through the well, well, there won't be anyone around. What used to be the well protected training camps to watch them train. Yeah, I, I think that's that's quite likely by the sounds of things. I mean, this is partly imposed on them by by COVID and a reduced schedule and the fact that, you know, under normal circumstances, I mean, if you have anything like a normal structure of a Lions series, you have plenty of time don't you for everybody to get a first start for everybody then to settle into their combinations and for those combinations to be by and large quite well tested by the time you face the test team but they just simply don't have that luxury on this tour and as a consequence they're going to have to be a bit smart aren't they they're going to have to think on the hoof and they are going to have to do what they can in amongst themselves and, and maybe some of their toughest opposition will come in other than that South Africa A game, maybe maybe some of their toughest opposition will be will be midweek against each other, which seems kind of ridiculous, but that's that's the nature of this tour. Alex, you you're at the England game on Saturday. The, the, any players in that team that you're thinking, God, they should be Lions? <laughs> well, on that criteria, I mean Sam Underhill was head and shoulders the, the I thought the best player on the field. Um he looked like he looked like an established top-class international. He gave England power and and frosty at the breakdown and and all those things that that we know Sam Underhill brings. Um, but as we discussed right at the start of this conversation, it was it was one of those games that's hard to make a judgment 
on on anyone really that England capped 12 players in the match the most they've capped in one match since the first game after the second world war um and there were some players who 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 did who did play well i mean i thought harry randall took his chance i thought freddie stewart at fullback just looked class unruffled um confident uh marcus smith looked confident obviously playing playing a slightly more me- uh, measured game than than he has done for for harlequins but and the USA were determined and, and they scored four tries and, and would have taken a lot out of it as they prepare for some World Cup qualifiers coming up. Um, for, but from an England perspective, I asked Eddie Jones afterwards how he, you know, he wants, he wants players in this summer to put their hand up for selection in the autumn and then, and then through to the World Cup. And really, you'll only judge the success of this summer by how many make it into that autumn squad and stay stay beyond it. Um and I asked him after the game how he can really judge whether anyone's done enough in these matches. And, and he he confessed that while it was a it was a nice day for England, um, there's nothing you can you can really tell about a player's um, potential to be a, a sort of a seasoned test in, a test match player until they've actually done it in the in, when the hot water's thrown at them, as he said. And this was a he said they had some some mild tepid water thrown at them, and they they came through scoring seven tries. Can I also um, just say, Alex, since when has Eddie used the autumn to blood players? He doesn't. I mean, Eddie is, uh, last autumn, he, he just picked his powerhouse players. He's a little bit of history reinvention there, I think. Well, I, yes, I, I, I take your, your point. I think he's what he's trying to do this time is is evolve his team a year earlier than he did before the, the, the last World Cup. I guess what I'm saying is if... If if they think Freddie Stewart is a is a potential World Cup fullback, then then they'll have to include him in the, in the autumn. You know, there's no point picking all these new players now, not picking none of them in the autumn and waiting for the Australia tour next year to then take a few youngsters. And, and so I think that's where this judgment will have to be made. Like, I think Harry Randall, I think Freddie Stewart, I think Marcus Smith, I think those guys will break into that senior squad when all the Lions are back. And, and there may be one or two others who, who emerge. You know, next week Alex Dombrandt will play. Maybe Ben Curry will get a chance to start. But I did think again Henry Slade just was just not as dominant and and influential as as he is at, at Exeter. And he's won, gosh, what forty caps now. And and I, I I'm still watching him play for England and think I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that those games that he he takes control of and we see the best of him. And, and even on, on Sunday, we, I, I didn't feel we saw that. Alex, early in his career, when everyone was bigging him up, I used to write about Henry Slade and say, he, he's clearly a wonderful talent. He's got it all. But I've never seen him perform for Exeter and thought man of the match because he has never dominated games. Then he went through this period in England where he did. And he's fallen off again. Because I would say on, on Sunday... He, you know, he wasn't ubiquitous. He wasn't the man pulling the strings, as you'd expect with all those caps. But some of his touches, kicking, passing, were delightful. And him and Marcus Smith in the midfield, and I know it was the USA, but they just pulled them out of position quite beautifully. But it gets back to what you say there. You want Slade now to do more. I was disappointed, not with the quality of his performance, but the quantity of his workload, because I'd have thought he'd have wanted to come out there 
and say to Gatland, if you like, you've left me behind, look at this. But it didn't happen. He just settled into the pattern that was imposed by England and did his bits very well. But they were, as it was at the start of his career, bits and, and not the whole thing that we saw for a couple of years uh, in the lead up to the World Cup. He, he was, he did have an extra workload of having to to help Dan Robson positionally. You know, Robson spent oh, yeah. an hour playing on the wing and he did a lot of, of direction. I, I, I see him communicating a lot outside him with, with Dan Robson to help, to help guide him through some of the positional elements of, that, that he's obviously not used to. And interestingly, Dan Robson's last two caps have come at fly half and, and, on, the, and on the wing for England. Um, uh, and so, you know, but I agree with you, Baj. I just thought you know, there were some lovely passes, in beh- particularly in behind their wing who kept flying up. Some lovely touches, and he and the, the potential of with Randall, Marcus Smith, Henry Slade is is enormous. You just you would just like to see like to see him take a bit more ownership, I guess is is, is the word I'm looking for. You, you probably need a little bit more time together, don't you? I mean, it's the same with the Lions. They need those combinations to be playing together reasonably regularly to see the best of them first and foremost. And secondly, they need the freedom to do what they do. I mean, one of the one of the refreshing things to see was Randall doing what he did with that sense of adventure and ambition that we see every single week, the fizz that he brings to Bristol every time he's on the field. I felt he did, I know he got charged down, but he, he broadly speaking, brought his game to an England shirt, where I think in the past, and I think this is true of Henry Slade, I think it's true of Dan Robson. Robson's really not had an opportunity to, to bed in, but I think a lot of those guys, they feel cowed by as Barnsley was saying, the imposition of the patterns, the imposition of the Jones game plan. Now, if you're going to pick Marcus Smith at 10, you've got to play Marcus Smith's game. You can't play an Owen Farrell game with Marcus Smith. You know, you can't expect Farrell to play a Marcus Smith game. So I think England have to evolve according to their personnel. And if you see Marcus Smith getting a decent run with England, you are more than likely to see the best of the likes of Henry Slade, because they'll they'll be freed up in a way that they they've been shackled to this point um, for the most part under Jones. And we'll learn even less next week in a way because Canada are, are weaker yeah. than, than the USA, so um, you know, England should be should be expecting to to hit hit more than a half century of points next week. So it'll be it'll be another case of of trying to work out whether you know whether Don Brandt charging through everyone is is a sign that he's ready or, or not i mean that you know those games are will be of less are of lesser intensity than the than the premiership final which is actually a much greater indication of yeah. of whether yeah. these players have it at the highest level agreed you you said alex that the, the um the main thing that eddie will the place where eddie will learn most about these players is what what they've been like in camp for five weeks he'll have seen more of them in yeah. camp and on the training paddock than than against the the americans and the canadians yeah, I think he'll see that as his big value is spending four or five weeks with, with the next generation of players, and he'll learn more from from what he, what they do um, at the Lensbury and and, um, and Pennyhill Park than than at Twickenham. I think. Well, we'll re- we'll gather here in a week's time and, and and dissect the the next England game against Canada. The Lions will have played twice by then. Gents, thank you very much, Al. Thanks for coming on. Now you've reached the end of this pod, listeners, you should tune into Inside the Tour. It is it is a brilliant listen. I think how many episodes are out now? Four or five episodes in. Uh, we've got five out and five to come. Yeah, so we've got the test matches to come. We've got the we've got an episode on the film. We've got an episode on the injuries. Uh, yeah, two tests and then 
a Dottie Weir special episode as our, our final. It's a kind of tribute. Uh, tribute to Dottie and everything he did in 97 uh winning our hearts then and of course still still doing that now uh birthday yesterday turned 51 and he's raised more than six million quid for the motor neuron um, foundation that he has which is just incredible so mm-hmm. yeah inspirational bloke so uh, very happy to have him on and, and pay tribute to him in our, our final episode we'll be back on thursday with stephen jones live from lockdown in Sampton, Johannesburg to review the Lions next game which is on on Wednesday so everyone thank you very much for joining us today and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again in a few days time Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.